Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John and a quick PSA regarding my new virtual men's group that meets on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's only a few spots left, but I thought you might want to know about it. It's a quick, easy, and cheap way to work with me. And maybe some of you have a career. Maybe you've made some money. Maybe you have a reputation for yourself at work. But maybe what you lack is things like happiness or purpose, a fulfilling relationship or a healthy sex life, the passion, happiness, and ease that you once had with your spouse an emotion other than numbness, disconnection, or irritability. This group is for men who are trying to be values-driven, interested in lifelong learning, and curious about how to become the best possible versions of themselves. The group is not for men who want to remain in the comfort zone while sitting at home watching TV. So again, group meets weekly, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's only $95 per session. And you can call 510-863-0057 for more details. That's 510-863-0057. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John with another episode of the Evolved Caveman Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And today, it is my unique pleasure to have with me Dr. Victor Aquista. Victor has become a successful international author and speaker, Following careers as a primary care physician and medical executive, he is known for writing to raise consciousness. His current focus is on embodying a soul-centered presence and awareness in daily life. His nonfiction and his workshops focus on personal growth and transformation, especially as they pertain to health and wellness. His fiction includes social messaging intended to get the reader engaged in thought-provoking themes. He is the creator and narrator slash host of a podcast series, Pod Fobbler Productions. He has a long-standing interest in consciousness studies, as you will see. He's a student of integral theory and strives to do his part to make our planet a wee bit better. Victor, how are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show, John, and thank you to your listeners as well. It is my pleasure. Thanks for being here and joining us. Um, We've spoken before, and I was impressed with your intellect, one, but also your ability to span between science and spirituality, which I think is always a difficult and impressive task. Well, thank you. Um, It it wasn't always that way. You know, I I kind of struggled with uh, those uh, things that seem to be in conflict, but in in many respects, I, I don't see them in conflict. I, I see them as, as really merging, uh, but just uh, uh, you know, having different perspectives on, on how we understand the world and truth and what have you. Yeah, and I'm excited to get to that question too of how you merge science and spirituality. But first, let's get to your story and how you got to this point in life, because I'm impressed that you were an MD and then kind of gave that up to, pers- to pursue spirituality and consciousness. Yeah, well, technically, I'm still an MD, but it's just uh, uh, not something I'm really uh, pursuing in uh, in this time of my story. And it's I knew you were going to ask this question because I've I've listened to some of your other interviews with guests, and they're they're all wonderful. Um, And I realized that I would have answered this question a little bit differently, you know, as recently as six months or a year ago because I would have focused on, I think, what are the uh, more, more commonly shared aspects of story. You know, I, I grew up uh, in Brooklyn and I was uh, one of seven children, had a very happy, uh, you know, relatively carefree life, excelled in school, went to medical school, did my internship, fellowship uh, in preventive medicine, blah, 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 blah. That's, I mean, that's my story, but that's, uh, I'm not my story. Uh, I think in so many respects, as the Buddhists say, there's two challenges in life. One is finding your song and then singing your song. So my story is really one of finding my song and now singing my song. 
my story is one of um, expanding perspectives uh, in much the same way that in motor development, we go through a developmental sequence from crawling to walking to running or in cognitive development, as you know, Piaget talks about, we go from uh, pre-operational, operational, formal operational, so on and so forth. Uh, our um, recognition or, or our ego kind of is first um, centered upon ourselves and then it expands perhaps to our family and then you know to our tribe or to our nation and blah 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 and I I've um, you know had this constantly expanding perspective that's now you know, more cosmic than 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 anything else and I expect that that will you know somehow continue to um, evolve I, my story is one of evolution and I know this is an evolved pod you know uh, the the evolved caveman podcast uh, and so you know. I think I, I ask myself, well, what are we evolving towards? What am I evolving towards? And I, I have a different answer than I would have had, you know, five years ago. Um, I think we're evolving towards a more spiritually embodied human being. Some people call it Homo divinicus. Some people call it Homo sapien 2.0, Homo illuminatus. doesn't matter what you call it, what you label it. But it's an evolution of of uh, of the human being, and I could plot my, you know, chart my course towards that uh, ev evolutionary arc, much the same way as I could with motor skills or or cognitive skills, and so on and so forth. Um, my my story, in in part, is a recognition that I'm not my story that I'm, you know, an incarnated soul, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but um, I have this body-mind, it's a whole package, you know, body-mind and soul that's having experiences. And, and, you know, I can catalog those experiences and say, well, that's my story, but that's not me. You know, I am the experiencer who's living in that story, um, and it's very much one of growth, transformation, and emergence. I, I like to talk about those topics. Um, you know, I'm less content-focused. Content is the stuff that's happening in our lives. Context is, you know, what what that happens in. It's, it's the canvas where all that stuff is painted. Um, I know that my story is one of growing to be more authentically aligned with you know my spiritual center or my my soul essence um you know we're all in some sense uh, doing some being and becoming simultaneously and i can step back and and realize that i'm becoming more of that center being uh, if that makes sense i'm not sure i think that the and I'll wrap this up because I, I I know we have lots of stuff to talk about. But um, I, I recently, well, not not that recently, quite some time ago, wrote a piece called "The Ocean and the Cup," and the ocean was a metaphor for you know vast, infinite spirituality, you know, consciousness, uh, infinite source, God, whatever you want to call that. It doesn't matter. Those are just words. Um, but the ocean is so vast. And then the, the piece is called The Ocean and the Cup. And you take a, a cup full of ocean and you have the ocean essence that's contained, but it's still that vast spirituality. And that's, that's the way I think of the soul. The soul is that little cup full of ocean. Uh, so there's a relationship between spirit and soul. Um, and then the cup is the body mind. You know, we incarnate uh, um, and we have an experience, and it's it's this body, mind, and and spirit, as it were. And my story's partly about the cup, <laughs> that container, but I've come to realize that, wow, that's pretty. Um, there's a lot more going on here than just the cup. Uh, and so 
to me, I love to talk about story. And I, and I love to recognize that, you know, my story is, is embedded in a much bigger story. It's a story of, you know, what, what's been happening socially, culturally in our times. It's, it's the history of humanity up to this time. It's, you know, technological uh, improvements, the pace of change. I mean, so many things are factors that uh, influence, you know, my story. Um, and I, I mean, I can talk about all those things because you know, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that multi-layered answer. And I, I completely understand what you're saying. One of the things that I wanted to circle back to is this idea that you brought up of a developmental trajectory for our spiritual evolution. And do you have any, or can you speak to like particular milestones or hallmarks that you see in that developmental trajectory? For myself? Uh, or, or, or us in general, yeah. even. I take either. Yeah. Because I'm not really, I, I haven't thought that far ahead, so I don't have an answer. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, it's useful to, to think of this in terms of uh, personal growth and transformation as, as that developmental sequence. Um, and I know in our previous discussion, but for your listeners, I'll, I'll summarize quickly. I think of um, evolution as uh, occurring horizontally and vertically. Horizontal evolution is small incremental steps. Good example is we have uh, fuel injectors instead of carburetors now. So that's a, an evolution in that automobile component to something that's you know, doing the same thing, mixing fuel and air, but it's doing it better. Uh, but it's, you know, it's hasn't really changed the automobile very much. But if we look at uh, the evolution of transportation and we say, well, we used to get around with horse and buggy, and now we get around with automobiles. And that's a that's a vertical leap. That's transformative. That's moving from one uh, paradigm, as it were, for transportation to another. And I think that the, those things happen for people as well. And often it's in the context of some uh, difficult life circumstance. It could be a divorce. It could be loss of job, death of a loved one, serious illness. Uh, confronting some, you know, difficult thing, addiction in yourself or a loved one. There's a lot of different uh, influencers that can uh, cause us to step back and evaluate. Well, you know, what is what is this all about? What's going on? And I think in the process of going inward and and struggling with these challenging circumstances, you often come to learn something about yourself. Um, Camus has this great quote that I love. Uh, In the midst of winter, I discovered within myself an invincible summer. Uh, but it doesn't have to be in, in the context of some difficulty. You know, when I first held my newborn son, I mean, that was transformative. Mm-hmm. That was like, wow, unbelievable. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that open us up, uh, falling in love, falling out of love. I, you know, those are, those are things that have the potential to accelerate not only our psychological growth, but I think our spiritual growth. And then, you know, sometimes people have um, experiences of alternative reality, you know, sometimes through the use of drugs and psychedelics and so on and so forth. You know, but sometimes you know you're walking along in in nature, and and boy, so you you find yourself in a different place. Mm-hmm. I think we're all experiencing altered states of reality uh, when we dream, for instance. Uh, sometimes you, you can have a dream and wake up different. Um, you know, the story of Saint Paul on the road to Damascus is a good example of spiritual transformation. That was very very abrupt. That would be a vertical kind of leap. But I think for most people, um, in the absence of these 
uh, powerful, influential moments of your life, there's, there's a gradual um, unfolding, you know, peeling away of the onion, as it were, uh, especially if you're a spiritual seeker. You know, you're trying to uh, come to grips with, well, you know, is this all there is or, or is there more to it? And especially if you are open to, you know, reading books or, you know, having certain practices, um, often with that you grow and develop and evolve. So does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um because I, I think it's difficult to get to any specific hallmarks or milestones for people in general, but I was curious to see if you had an answer. Um, and one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking is, you know, you were talking about our belief in, is there more than this? Is this all there is? And since this is mostly going to be a conversation about the more than this, <laughs> what are your beliefs as far as is this objective reality all there is? Well, um, I, I, I again, I, I could think of different ways <laughs> of answering that. Yes. So uh, the, the the short answer is no. My my beliefs, and and that's all they are. They're my beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, other people might share those beliefs. Other people might not share those beliefs. And I'm not passing judgment on anyone's belief system. Um, for for me, I um, believe in um, unity consciousness, that we all are uh, the same consciousness, and that manifests both, you know, through through our human forms, but really all, all creation uh, is an aspect of consciousness. And that we have a, a unique, individuated um, fragment of consciousness that's the divine essence within each of us. Um, and as we connect to that more, I think our appreciation of that um, universal consciousness be, be grows. I think that, um, you know, that, that is a medium medium length answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me ask you this, what emotional benefits do you get from subscribing to those beliefs? Well, in uh, other words, I mean, I can give you the contrast. The contrast is I've worked with a lot of people who are depressed and believe that this objective reality is all there is. There's nothing beyond this. And I would say that the emotional consequences of those beliefs are Increased depression, increased alienation, increased uh, disconnection, and just a general kind of upswing in overall misery. Yeah, and I actually think uh, that word disconnection in, in what you you just said is the most important word there. Um, in terms of emotion, and happiness and unhappiness are, are going to be the, the emotions that I'm focused on right now. Um, I think that when uh, people pass judgment about the circumstances of their life, they say, gee, I'm not making enough money, or gee, I'm not in a happy marriage, or I don't like my job, or whatever um, is their assessment that. It reflects, well, this isn't the way I would like things to be. So you want things to be a certain way. You desire things to be a certain way. You evaluate and pass judgment on the way things are. And you say, boy, there's a big gap here. And that's why I'm unhappy. When, in fact, um, the things that might provide temporary happiness so maybe someone's nice to you that day or your boss gives you a compliment or, um, you know, you, you, something good happens and then you feel happy. Th those are just transitory, um, ephemeral aspects of happiness that are, aren't, they don't, they're not sustained. 
because those are based on content. Um, here, here's a short example. Um, man is at work, boss chews him out, coworkers snarky to him, um, he's behind on his projects, and um, he's basically had a miserable day at work. He, uh, he gets into a traffic jam on the way home. When he opens the door, um, the, the kids are yelling and screaming. There's toys all on the floor. His wife yells out, um, you know, oh, dinner's going to be late today. And he he's very unhappy. He's very, very unhappy dealing with the content of that moment, as opposed to, well, he had a great day at work. His boss complimented him, told me he was going to get a raise. His coworkers threw him a little party. No traffic on the way home. He opens the door. There's toys strewn all over the place. The kids are yelling and screaming. His wife says, oh, Din, it's going to be late. Well, guess what? The context there is he's feeling really good. And so the content at that moment is the same. But the way he reacts, the response is different. Um, and I think that the, the, the con there's four contexts that enable us to navigate life from a place of happiness. And I, I think the four of them are peace, gratitude, trust, and love. And when you're centered in any of those, then sure, stuff is going to happen in, in your life that is not, quote, good stuff, but you don't, you don't get ruffled. You don't um, uh, kind of dwell into the victim mode or, you know, pity, self-pity mode and so on and so forth. For me personally, um, having a... a, a Clarity, having clarity about my spiritual essence and dealing with the challenges in my life, not by focusing on, oh, this is terrible, this is miserable, but focusing on how at this moment can I respond in a way that is true to to who I am in the core of my being. And it's almost always patience, love, forgiveness, trust, compassion. I mean, stuff happens to us all the time. And it's easy to say, ask, you know, why is this happening to me? When in fact, there's a lot of spiritual teachers who say stuff is happening for you. Mm -hmm. Stuff is happening for the evolution of your soul or for you to integrate your higher essence more fully into your day-to-day -day life. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because to me, one of the big pillars, foundational pillars of happiness is meaning. And what I see is the spiritual domain allows us to infuse our lives with more meaning if we're looking at it as what am I supposed to learn from this? Or why is this being done for me? Why is, what lesson am I supposed to learn from this? I mean, Jory and I, my, my partner, we've been working on getting back together after a two month breakup and went and saw two couples counselor for two day long intensive couple counseling sessions. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it, it was painful. It was difficult. It was challenging. And yet we both believe that we're there to learn and grow in significant areas so that ultimately we can use that learning to not only improve our own relationship, but to help out other couples. That's beautiful. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. And, and I think it, um, it illustrates that uh, challenges are really opportunities. They are opportunities to learn. They are opportunities to grow. Um, and it, you know, we have a choice on how we, you know, embrace those opportunities or, or don't, or how we react and how we respond. Uh, and often the way we respond is really self-destructive. So we know that there's not a majority of people out there actively, aggressively pursuing spiritual growth and evolution. 
what do you see as some of the barriers? Why aren't they more excited about it? I think one of the biggest barriers is, is a lot of people don't have very much of an interior life. I mean, I think, you know, I've been a contemplative for, for most, you know, for as long as I could remember. Um, and it's not reinforced, uh, you know, from a, from a, uh, an education standpoint, uh, we don't really uh, focus on, uh, you know, critically evaluating ourselves in the context of things like meaning and purpose and spiritual growth. I think a lot of organized religion there's a it's a two-edged sword it, it it does provide some answers to some of these deep questions but then it also uh often um try tries to make you know whoever whatever religion it is uh, to enforce conformity you know to to actually take away critical thinking because you know here's the answer we already have it for you just here's a list of sins or here's here's a list of do's and don'ts or you know if you believe this you you're going to go to heaven if you don't well sorry but but you know i'm i'm joking a little bit about it but i think it is a barrier um it, it's 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 mixed because it can help someone to ask those questions and seek answers. But in general, I don't think we emphasize this enough. And I think that that's one of, one of the bigger, bar- you know, one of the biggest barriers. And we're also pursuing other things. You know, we're pursuing uh, getting jobs and getting married and raising kids and uh, paying the mortgage and, you know, all the, all the day-to-day activities of life um, that uh, seem to take higher priority. I guess it's. I guess that's probably the best way of putting it. It's not a priority for people. Well, although I have heard that there's a lot of sponsorship opportunities just lately in the past month or so for ascetics sitting on top of a mountain, you know, kind of contemplating their inner being. Everyone wants to get in on that. Intel, Microsoft, Apple. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about that? I can tell you. How I feel about that. <laughs> that, was, that was a joke, but <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I think that um, we we have we we all have gifts, uh, and very often we don't open the gift box, so we don't know what those gifts are. But then I think our gifts are meant to be shared, and so you know, if you're if you're there's there's certainly value in in having that ascetic experience and so on, but I don't think it could end there. I think you have to then take what you've learned and bring it out into the world uh, in in some way, shape, or form. Well, and I think that's one of the challenges, right? I think it's easy to be an ascetic. <clears throat> pardon me, in a cave. The real test is: can you bring it out into the real world of everyday men and women, and still behave in a in the same or similar way it still keep the same sense of calm and meaning and purpose and i i agree with you wholeheartedly uh, why is it more challenging i think is is a is a good question to ask uh is it because we have other you know either priorities or distractions or or things that are taking our time as opposed to sequestering ourselves in a you know a cave or a cabin or a mountaintop or whatever, um, when when we're free of distractions, um, because I I think that um, we 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 need to learn how to cultivate spirituality in our day to day lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's one of the big problems is just the hustle mentality that that busyness that so many of us get addicted to whether it's the pursuit of you know wealth by working or you know having kids or you know all the things that we need to do to take care of the home or the apartment um or watching the basketball playoffs or whatever it is there's Mm -hmm. just too many distractions and and how meaningful are those distractions 
I mean, if your team won or lost, you know, in the playoffs, is that really meaningful? Does that does that give meaning to your life or or somehow uh, resonate with your purpose for being here? Um, th- those distractions in, in some way, I think, are like um, little little sweet candies. They taste mm-hmm. good for a moment and then they melt and then they're gone. And it's like, well, if you eat too much candy, you know, you kind of get fat or you get too well, I, I don't even like it could taste like shit too. I mean, you know, like life's like a box, box of chocolates and there's some surprises in there depending on whether your team wins or loses. And and the funny thing is, I think that especially for men, that professional sports is when it, the draw is that we can feel. It allows us to feel anything we want to feel openly without embarrassment. Hmm. And, you know, to your point of having a impoverished inner life, I don't think most of us even know how we feel. And we sure as hell don't have permission to feel. So when we get these limited opportunities to feel and come alive, whether it's in, you know, watching our favorite team, professional team or college team, or going to a concert, for example, there's very few opportunities where we can truly come alive with emotion and not judge ourselves for it or worry about being judged by others. You know, I'm so glad you said that, John, because uh, I think that. uh, people are not willing to to delve into feelings, um, you know, maybe in the context of therapy and stuff like that. But I know for myself, what really feels good is when I am acting in a way that's aligned with my soul center. I mean, this is a this this conversation that we're having feels really good to me because I know that we're connecting and communicating at um, at a deep, deep level. And um, that that feels good. And some people say, you know, feelings are the language of the soul. Um, And I, I I think there's a lot of sense to that. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me in my life when I'm um, not connected this is you, to that center. It doesn't feel good. And a lot of people are in, you know, these soul sucking jobs as, you know, that's a, that's a common term. Well, yeah, it doesn't feel good because it doesn't feed you. It doesn't nurture you. Um and I, and I do think that, that there is a feeding and nurturing of sharing something together, whether, whether it's a, a sports team or a family meal together, where you're, you're, you're connected in a, um, in a way that doesn't need words. Um, you, just, you just enjoy being together. That's a, that's a being moment. It's very mm-hmm. present-centered. It's not you know, lost in something in the past that happened, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, maybe a distraction. Um, It's not worrying about something in the future. It's very present centered when you are celebrating, you know, your team's victory, or, or, or even if you're not celebrating, but you're sharing the defeat, there's that connection with with mm-hmm. like-minded people and i think that that hits us at the level of our soul i think feeling yeah, the sense of belonging is really important belonging, I know, connection absolutely. let me let me ask you a question you mentioned when you are in alignment with your soul center yeah. i totally get that and i also wanted to ask to what extent does that overlap with our values and our meaning or purpose because those all three seem there's a lot like Venn diagrams with which overlap or circles, which are overlapping. Yeah. Well, um, here's my answer. (laughs) Um, Three H's and three A's. The three H's are head, heart, and hands. And the three A's are authenticity, alignment, and action. What do I mean by all this? Um, if we're living in our head, um, it's usually you know uh, an, an egoic identity. 
And um, if, if our sense of purpose is somehow wrapped up in our ego, that um, is, uh, I, I, I would say, not authentic, but, but I'm not in the A words yet. <laughs> Most people live f- from their head. Their heart, which is where that soul center is, is uh, often quelled or quieted or or not given much uh, voice. And the hands do uh, whatever they're told to do by the head or the heart. Once you kind of come to a recognition of that authentic part of yourself where the, the soul center is. And that's where, you know, you find your song because our purpose, you know, just writ large is to find our song and then to sing our song. Uh, so so you, you find your song not in your head. You find your song in your heart. Um, and then eventually the the head falls in line because you're actually expanding the ego. The ego's not bad. I, I don't, I'm not in that camp of, you know, well, you got to beat the ego into submission. No, no, we we need to um as we grow and expand into our spiritual center, it's uh the 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 ego is uh, essentially elevated along with that expansion like a rising tide uh, you know raises all ships all boats whatever and so the 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 three a words uh, alignment authentic authenticity or authentic alignment and action action is the hands because who we are and what we do uh, it's easily it's easy to disconnect those mm-hmm. when in fact when you're not thinking about it you know if if you're an apple tree, you make apples. There's no thoughts involved. And the more you nurture and fertilize the, the and support and cultivate that apple tree, the more apples it produces. Um, if you're, you know, a wood chopper, your action is to chop wood. I mean, there's no there's no disconnect between those things. And so you know, for, for me, you know, I I recognize that what really um, motivates me and 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 makes my heart sing is to be loving. Um, and so, uh, when I'm doing that, you know, who I am, because I think in the essence of our beings, we're all creatures of love. Um, so, who I am and what I do, no disconnect, and I'm happy. I'm meeting my my purpose. I you know I I have meaning in my life, um, and everything is all lined up. And and it's like an instrument that's tuned that's making beautiful music. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. And I would say my my purpose my my mission is to serve others. And yeah. and so I, I think there's something to be said for these values or purposes that are self transcendent that aren't self-focused because you can have values like wealth, power, fame, but I, I, I keep arguing that those are misguided that we need, you know, some degree of money to get by, but they're not going to take us where we want to go, which I think ultimately is happiness and fulfillment. Yeah. Well, and, or as Maslow, you know, says you know, self-actualization at the top of the pyramid there or the apex, um, and it's true. We we do. We have needs that are uh, need need to be met, uh, whether it's you know food, clothing, shelter, and so on and so forth. But uh, I think a lot of people you know, confuse needs and wants, um, and we we often pursue our wants that we don't really need. Well, we've convinced ourselves that we need them, um, and and that does doesn't I, I think doesn't give meaning. Uh, to people's lives because it's it's not who who they really are in the you know essence um i like to the, i'd like to use the term from essence to presence you know you have to take that essence and bring it out 
You have to you have to have that present in your day to day life. And I don't think it ever involves having a lot of money in your bank account. I just don't. And and I'm not I'm not disparaging that. But I think if people are looking for meaning and purpose, wealth is not going to um, uh, provide that in and of itself. It might open up opportunities to, you know, pursue things that otherwise you couldn't pursue um, that that help you to grow spiritually and and help you to find meaning and what have you. Let me ask you this. So to what extent do you think, let's say I'm a man who has just discovered sort of his essence or purpose. To what extent do you think it is a risk to begin to share that? To what extent do you have to overcome your own fear and doubt in order to share that essence? Yeah. Well, I, I think in general, um, there's, there's a vulnerability there because... That V uh, word again. Yeah. You don't know if people are going to accept you um, with with that sharing that you do. And I'll I'll be honest with you. I wrote my statement of purpose in 2008. That's 15 years ago. I shared it with almost no one for years and years. And and I I read it every day now, but I, I, I freely share it with people now. And it took me a long time to be comfortable with that. Um, And part of it is, I had a character in a book, young young, um, kid, uh, 17 years old, and he was quote, quote, weird. You know, he had green spiked hair, and you know, then he changed it to purple. And then, you know, he he went, he had the goth look for a while. And and he was talking to someone who who suffered from schizophrenia, a, a woman. And they both said, well, we don't have a lot of friends. And and he said, well, you don't have a lot of friends because people have judged you to be, um, you know, mentally ill and, and, and people don't like you and they're afraid of you and so on and so forth. In my ca- case, I'm weird and people don't like me because I'm weird. But you know what? That's their issue. Mm-hmm. So he he completely owned his weirdness. In fact, in fact, there's a there's a speaker, uh, Andy. Can't think of his last name. His whole thing is own your awkward. It's like, hey, this is who I am, and and in a way, it, it that that vulnerability is based in fear. You fear that people aren't going to accept you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there'll be some bad consequences. I mean, is it any different than, you know, someone, um, you know, recognizes that they're attracted to the same sex, but don't doesn't want to tell anyone because, mm-hmm. well, you know, people are going to judge me. People are going to judge me. Well, in a way, if you can't love yourself for who you are, if you can't embrace your purpose uh, fully yourself, why would you expect other people to embrace it? <laughs> you know, right. it's like self-love and, and self-acceptance. Um, that's a good starting point. And, and I think when, when you get there, it's a lot easier to say, hey, this is who I am. This, this is this is what I'm all about. I, I'm not going to be fake anymore. I, I'm, I've come to learn this about myself and I'm sharing it with you. Let me ask you this. How difficult was it for you to, I don't know exactly how you let go of your MD career. You say you're still an MD. I get that. But to do that, to become a speaker, author, like to go teach mindfulness, to pursue consciousness, to pursue spirituality. If I put myself in your shoes, I would have been a little bit, I mean, that's a big jump. And I would have been a little nervous as to how others might see me. Yeah. Well, um, you you hit the nail on the head there, John, because that was difficult. Uh, in fact, when I wrote my first book, uh, which was, um, you know, while I was still practicing um, uh, mainstream medicine, and, and that book uh, really 
um, embraces a lot of things that are outside of mainstream medicine, um, both in its conceptual framework about health and healing and, and what have you. Um, and I ha- I really struggled with writing that book and and what are people going to think because this isn't the way I was taught. This is, you know, I'm still in the box, but, you know, I'm just in a, in a much bigger box now. Um, and I did it anyway. And I, and I, I remember I was on retreat at the Institute of Noetic Sciences when, when this happened. Um, I was in the, in the process of writing the book and I said, you know what? I don't need, I don't need validation from anyone. I don't need approval from anyone. This is in me and I'm going to do it. Um, and you know, damn whatever happens. And in some ways, the, the, the decision to get out of, um, you know, my medical career, you know, I had, I had gone from, um, doing primary care, then into administrative and executive medicine. And I, I very clearly got burned out. Um, and I was ready to, to, to get out of the hamster wheel as I, you know, as I like to think of it. So that one wasn't as difficult, but not because I was fearful of, of people accepting that decision because people could accept, Hey, you're burned out. Okay, you're not going to do that anymore. So you know that that that's that's a little bit different than, oh no, you're you're right there on top. You're on top of your career. What are you doing? You're crazy. You're gonna you're gonna write books. You're not going to make any money. You know, yeah, all that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I'm 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 glad that I did it and got over the 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 discomfort. Uh, but you know. A lot of it was the time. The time was right. You just have to uh, recognize that no, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna pursue something that is um, self-destructive, literally self-destructive. Yeah. And and I applaud your courage to do that because I know you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years ago, there just wasn't scientists, MDs, researchers out there that would espouse any sort of spiritual belief because it could impact their career negatively. And only recently in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, perhaps, have I seen more and more scientists, researchers, MDs come out and say they even believe in God. Yeah. Well, to me, I think it's a real shortcoming in your traditional uh, medical training. Absolutely. Because you might my own belief again this is my own belief system is we have a spiritual essence at our core and so that's not we're not taught to um even assess someone's spiritual health much less uh, help help them to heal spiritually or help them help them to move from a place of their current spiritual health to a place of better health no, because that's been outsourced to priests, ministers, rabbis, and 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 what have you. Um, so it's not the field of of medicine. Um, when in fact the word health uh, shares roots with the words whole and holy. So to be healthy is to be whole, is to be holy. And if you are going to not address what's in the center of the target, in the bullseye, which is the spiritual core, then you're just, you know, your your arrows are going to be maybe on target, but they they're not going to be in the in you know in the valuable place there. And and to me, someone who is spiritually healthy can deal with a lot of uh, things that you know. We might we might say well, physical disease and so on and so forth, which is really something afflicting the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, they they can deal with it in a place of um, uh, whether it's faith or trust or love or you know without resentment and be healthy. Um, you know, having a disease doesn't uh, oh 
make you unhealthy. It's, you know, part of that cup. You know, I was talking about the ocean and the cup. Okay, so there's a chip in the cup. You know, it's still, you know, it's still holding that ocean essence. Or, oh, okay, well, that, that cup, there's a there's a smudge on it or you know the the paint job or the potter didn't you know messed up a little bit there okay fine it's not really that important uh, and and our whole our whole approach to uh, medical care i think is um it's too focused on on disease and you know i'll just i'll riff on this just just a little bit more you know, modern medicine is rooted in the science, Western medicine is rooted in the scientific method. It comes uh, out of the age of enlightenment when we use the rational ways and approaches to understand things and, and um, uh, understand the world around us. So in Western medicine, allopathic medicine, the way I was trained, it's all about, it's, it's highly reductionistic. It's taking a set of signs and symptoms, reducing that to a diagnosis, and then using scientific studies, you know, double-blind studies, whatever, blah, 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 to say, well, this is the way we treat that diagnosis. Okay, it's very scientifically elegant Western medicine bedrock. Um, when in fact, there were a lot of approaches to health and healing that predated, um, you know, modernity. Whether there was faith healing or the, you know, the use of botanicals and herbals and uh, shamans, shamanism, and so on. Um, are we are we going to say that that those things don't work? Well, if we're using the yardstick of scientific method. We say, oh no, those things they don't work. Now, energy-based med- energy-based medicine's been around forever. And in post-modernity, a lot of these quote new age approaches, and a lot of them are just a re-emergence of, of old things like shamanism. Um, those are all they're not rooted in in science as we currently understand science. They may be very well rooted in subtle energies and um. Uh, things that we don't measure very well, because science is all, all about measurement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't work. And this this dialectic of uh, red- reductionism and holism, uh, or you know, what Hegel would call a dialectic, that's a, a thesis and an antithesis. But then there's a synthesis above it where we say, oh no, there's a lot of truths in that Western approach. There's a lot of truths in all of these approaches. Because at the end of the day, everything is energy. And so all healing involves the manipulation and and transfer of energies. Uh, And whether you do that through chemical reactions and pharmaceuticals or a chiropractor who is uh, doing a a manipulation or whether you're a Reiki practitioner, you're moving energy around, it, it... all of these things have a common basis of energy. And so if we can move from a, an energy state uh, that is, is maybe uh, you know, not, not balanced or not synchronized or not harmonious to a, a more energetically balanced system, okay, we've improved health. Mm-hmm. End of story. Yeah, I remember when I was going through training at Cal, they were super heavy on the scientific paradigm. And so I came out of Cal really believing in the scientific paradigm, only taught things that could be proven scientifically. And as I got older, I realized that that paradigm, while I'm a big fan of it, is only one way of viewing the world. And not every not every phenomenon in the world can be explained or made sense of through that scientific paradigm. And so there are other paradigms that need to be incorporated in order to make sense of some other things. And so to kind of pick the lens to view the world, which fit the best or helped you out the most. Yeah. And I, I, I think of them as tools in the toolbox, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, there, there's some tools that are, you know, somewhat narrow in what they can do. 
you know, you're you're not going to go to a massage therapist necessarily for a broken leg, you, you know. Um, so the more tools you have in the toolbox, I think the the better you can approach um, healthcare delivery. So I a lot I like a lot of the um, team based approaches to healthcare, which include practitioner, could include a social worker, could include, um, you know, mental health practitioner, you know, may, maybe massage therapist, maybe a Reiki practitioner, or all of them, because they all have different skill sets and uh, lenses, as you will, through which to evaluate and then treat someone to help them to be healthier. And I would say one of the biggest predictors of success in healing is the individual, the patient's belief that any specific modality is going to help them or not. Yes. Well, you know, there's, there's the whole placebo, nocebo. Yeah. All, all of, but um, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And in a way, <clears throat> um, our scientific method is not very good at parsing that out, for instance, uh, let's say I'm I'm Doctor One, and I evaluate someone with a sore throat, and I decide they have strep throat, and I write them a prescription for, you know, an antibiotic, and then I say to them, I really think this is going to help you feel good. You're going to get better right away. Okay, as opposed to practitioner number two, who doesn't say that. And so how do you parse that out, um, that that art of medicine, that that healing moment? um, You know, sometimes the the laying on of hands. I've had trouble with my back over the years. I've seen a number of different chiropractors. They're all trained similarly. But you know what? Some of them had, one of them in particular, just had such a healing presence. It's like, lay your hands on me, brother. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I know, I know I'm going to really feel good when you're done. Now, is that because he's more skilled? Maybe. But how do you parse that out and say, yeah. well, manipulation helps for this, you know, for 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 this neck problem? Well, okay. You can't. You can't do that scientifically. Well, it may be because he's got greater empathy. It may be because he's got greater presence, which means that he's actually with you in the room when he's with you in the room. Right. So when we try to decide what works and what doesn't work, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's an N of one. We have a single person, a human being, um, and you have a healthcare provider, and that little system can't be duplicated anyplace else. And what the end result of that is, uh, you can't aggregate and say, okay, this approach works, this approach doesn't work, and, and what have you. you know, human um, Modern medicine is very dehumanizing mm-hmm. because you know, we think that someone in exam room A, you know, let's just use diabetes, um, you know, with, with, let's just say with a blood sugar of 250 is the same as, you know, person B in the next exam room with a blood sugar of 250. When in fact, you know, uh, person A is, is a woman who's there with her husband who wants to make sure, you know, she's, um, getting the best care that she can. She, he goes shopping with her. He makes sure she checks her blood sugar. They do meal planning together. And person B is a single woman working three jobs, trying to raise a family, uh, doesn't have time to check her sugar, doesn't have time to you know prepare healthy meals. So how could we treat those people the same? Yeah. It, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's a good They're point. Unique, unique people. Well, Victor, I got to say, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This was an outstanding conversation, and I really greatly appreciate your time. And would you tell people where they can get a hold of you or where they can get a hold of your books? Sure. Um, 
My main website is victoraquista.com. There's a link to another website there called pathstohealth.info. Uh, that, that website's a little old right now. Um, my books are all um, on um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, pretty much all the places that pe people usually shop for books. I have uh, Facebook at Victor Quista author, um, LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram and Twitter too, but I don't do much there. I'll be honest. Okay. Well, I'll, and I'll put those links in the podcast notes. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. You know, can Absolutely. I just say, uh, you know, because we were talking about emotion. Thank you for the happiness that you have brought to me in the last hour. I really appreciate you and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, and, you know, with that mission of, of serving other people and, and really uh, helping them. Um, so I, I see you, brother. I see you. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. Okay. And that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and share. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 